Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. Millions of individuals in our world have heard something about the Lord Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. They know where it happened and a little of how it happened. But how many really understand what actually took place outside the walls of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago? Today, Evangelist Norman Crawford presents to us Lessons from Calvary. He explains how Calvary reveals not only the heart of man, but also the heart of God. The sufferings that Christ experienced on the cross opened up the way of salvation for a needy world and for you as an individual. And because of his death, all are welcome to receive God's free offer of forgiveness. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, and I'm breaking in at verse 32. Luke 23 and verse 32. And there were also two others. I'm reading the, what the language actually says in this verse. There were two others. Malefactors? That isn't a word we normally use. What does it mean? Criminals. There were also two others. Criminals. Led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, this is perhaps as great a prayer as I've ever read or heard. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. I would like tonight to give you some lessons from Calvary. They are lessons to my heart. They are lessons that have tremendous meaning to me. The first lesson that I see in this passage is that Calvary, that place where the Lord Jesus was crucified, Calvary exposes the heart of man. I'll come back to that because that is a very important point. And Calvary explores the heart of God. And Calvary explains the way of salvation, thank God. And Calvary actually extends a welcome to all, whosoever will, let him come. Finally, Calvary, and this is very solemn, Calvary excludes every Christ rejecter. Now, I am helped by the fact that it tells us there were two others. Do you know how it helps me? It tells me that this Christ stands alone in all his glory, in all his purity, in all his holiness. Who is he? Who is this Christ who was crucified at the place called Calvary? Let me tell you, friend, all things were made by him 
Without him was not anything made that was made. He is the mighty creator. He is the Lord of all transcendent, the life-creating Son to worlds on him dependent. He's the Son of God. He is God manifest in flesh. God came down to our world. The God who made it, who was sinned against, came into our world for what reason? To seek and to save that which was lost. That's a wonderful text. That's the heart of the gospel. The Son of Man is come. The Lord Jesus has come. He has come from the highest heights of heaven. He came down into our world. He was despised. He was rejected. He was hated. He was abused. He was treated with contempt. He was spit upon. Can you believe that? Then in our world, the maker of this world was spit upon by his own creatures? That's why I tell you that Calvary actually exposes the heart of man. Do you want to know what sin is? My sin? Your sin? I know that isn't a pleasant subject. I know today it is very, very strongly rejected by many. The thought that we are sinners. Old people will say, well, we've made mistakes. We've done things that aren't just right. But listen, friend, let's call it what God calls it, how God sees it. That's really how I should see sin, how God sees sin. And there's no place, there's no event, there's nothing that has ever happened that has exposed the heart of man like the cross of Christ. That cross shows me what a sinner I am. I used to hear this quoted when I was just a boy in this city. Around the cross, the throng I see, mocking the sufferer's groan, and yet my voice, it seems to me as if I mocked alone. T'was I that shed that precious blood. I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Son of God. I joined the mockery. And yet not the less that blood avails to wash away my sin. And not the less that cross prevails to give me peace within. What am I saying in that poem? What is it saying? It's saying that at the cross, I learn what a sinner I am. How? In what men did to the Savior? Do you understand? This world is guilty of the blood of God's own Son. Our world, us, and I believe that my sins caused the Savior to suffer shame. I believe that my sins caused the Savior to suffer agony. My sins caused the Savior to suffer infinitely, beyond measure, beyond compare. And if I want to know what sin is, look at what men did to him. The soldiers, this was a common sport on the part of Roman soldiers. We are told in the prophets that they struck him with rods upon the face. What would an iron rod do if you were hit with it in the face? Do you understand that it tells us away back 800 years before the cross that his visage was so marred? Men actually had a game. They used an iron rod to strike the victim in the face and the soldier would pass the rod back to the soldier behind him. And so it was passed from one to another and each had their turn. And the point was to see who could do the most damage with a blow. Oh, my Savior suffered. Men spat on him. They lashed his back until it was like a plowed field. Now I'm going to tell you something about the cross tonight that perhaps you know and maybe you don't. Do you know that the cross, Calvary, where the Savior suffered, it was promised by the prophets 
hundreds of years before it happened. It was all foretold. How many times? How many promises do you think there are? How many prophecies about how Christ would suffer? There are 333 of them. And that's just the beginning of the story because there were all kinds of types, that is, pictures of what he would suffer and how he would suffer. How did those writers who lived centuries before the cross, how did they know what was going to happen? God tells us how they knew. God knows the end from the beginning. God knew everything that would happen to his only son when he gave him to come into the world to bleed and die. And it was all told clear and plain in the scripture. Calvary actually is found not only in those promises, but in so many of those types, such pictures, such clear, graphic, vivid, definitive, the smallest details revealed, and it all happened. Let me give you one illustration, and I often do this, but at the foot of the cross there were four soldiers. It says there was a quaternion, that is four of them, down there at the foot of the cross. What are they doing? Well, they've divided the few belongings of the Lord Jesus among them. He didn't have much. A few garments. And they're dividing his clothes among the four of them. And then they come to a, a coat that doesn't have seams, that is woven from the top to the bottom. And they say, let's not cut it up. Let's not rend it apart, pull it apart, rip it. Let's cast lots for it, whose it shall be. And down there at the foot of the cross, do you see those four soldiers, those Roman soldiers? They're gambling. They're casting lots for that garment of the Lord Jesus. What if you had been able to go to those soldiers and tap one of them on the shoulder and say, what you're doing right here was written by King David a thousand years ago. How staggering that would have been to them. They didn't know they were carrying out scripture. Why am I telling you that? Because, friend, I believe the Bible. It is God's word. Are there miracles today? Well, you say, I've never seen a miracle. I've never seen God. How do I know this is all real? You can know it's real. You see that book? That book has hundreds of miracles that you can see tonight, right in the Word, because God foretold all these events in detail centuries before they happened. It's amazing that the Da Vinci Code could pretend that those Galilean fishermen could have invented the whole stories of the Gospels. <laughs> I don't know what kind of men they thought they were uh, if they could invent those stories and fit them all into the, all the scriptures of the Old Testament and make it all up so perfectly. They were unlearned and ignorant men, but they had been with the Lord Jesus. Oh, my friend, this is real. This is real. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. I have told you that at the cross, sin the sin of our hearts, the sin of our natures. That sin is exposed by what men did to Christ. But there's a far greater, far greater way that our sin is exposed at the cross. You know what? What God did to him. What does God think of sin? What does God think of your sins? How does God look at them? Well, look at Calvary. When men had done their worst, when they had mocked him and marred him and beaten him and nailed him, and thorn-crowned them, and lashed them. They could do no more. And God took over. And God laid upon his own son, upon Christ on that cross. God laid the punishment that should have fallen on me and on you. 
There are five words in Isaiah 53 that I think are so amazing. The punishment was upon him. Punishment from whom? From God. The God who must punish sin. The God who hates sin because he's holy. Because he's the God of light. And in the darkness of Calvary, the Lord Jesus. Listen to what it says. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord God has laid on the Lord Jesus the iniquity of us all. Will you come to Calvary with me tonight? See that? See that Savior nailed and thorn-crowned and bleeding? God doesn't allow you to see what happened next. Even angels could not look on that scene. It is shrouded with darkness and alone. The Savior suffered at the hand of Almighty God. Oh, my friend, I can remember when for the first time it dawned on me the Lord Jesus was punished in my stead. He was punished as my substitute. He took the guilty sinner's place. He suffered in his stead. For man, oh, miracle of grace. For man, the Savior bled. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. I believe that the cross exposes our hearts, but it does something far more. It explores God's heart. The cross explores the heart of God, that God so loved this world of guilt and sin that he gave his only begotten son. I can see the heart of God in this prayer of the Savior. I think it's a most amazing prayer. He said, Father, forgive them. Now, I have worked very hard on every single word of the Gospel of Luke. When I was writing the commentary on the Gospel of Luke, I actually went over every word that is in this original Gospel. And when I came to this word, I learned things I'd never known before. This word, forgive, I took it to mean, well, when you're guilty and you need forgiveness, then God's ready to forgive you because of what Christ suffered. That's true. But the word has even a greater meaning than that. You know what it means? Well, let me, let me give it to you in kind of a, the old-fashioned English language. It means, Father, let be. But I can make it a little simpler than that. It means, Father, hold back. Hold back the wrath from them. Who deserved it? Around that cross were the tormentors of my Savior. The mockers, the scorners, the abusers. Do they deserve to be punished? They surely do. The Lord Jesus said, Father, hold it back. Don't let the judgment fall on them. Do you understand that? That's what he's saying. And my dear friend tonight, dear person, dear man, dear woman, dear teenager here tonight, or boy or girl, the Lord Jesus prays, hold back the wrath from them. But how could he do that? Here's how he did it. He said, let it fall on me. Oh, what amazing truth that is. Hold back the judgment from them and let it fall on me. You know, I believe that Calvary is the greatest proof of a literal hell that you could ever find. Why would the Savior have suffered so much? Why would he have suffered agony beyond description if it was just to keep you from ceasing to be, from annihilation, 
That's what a lot of people think, you know. They think when, when a person dies, that's the end of them. No, it isn't. You are a priceless, precious soul. And that soul will go on and on and on and on forever. And there are only two destinies for that soul. A real heaven where Christ is and a real hell where there's fire and torment. And my friend, the greatest proof of that real hell is what Christ suffered. Why would he suffer so much if there was no place from which you needed to be saved? That's what it means to be saved, by the way. I know I'm being extremely simple in this, but forgive me. To be saved means to be saved from punishment. It means to be saved from hell and the lake of fire. It means to have your soul saved. Oh, what a blessed thing it is to be saved. Can I tell one of my little illustrations, which helps me, I hope it will help someone here tonight. Sixty years ago, I was preaching the gospel. A man and his wife were coming to hear the gospel every night. We visited with them in their home and had some conversations with the scriptures open, explaining to them the way of salvation. The man had a difficulty. He didn't believe that he was bad enough to be in hell. He didn't think he was such a terrible sinner that God wouldn't let him into heaven if he did the best he could. We had a number of visits with the message of salvation. He had his own thoughts. And be careful, friend, because you see, your thoughts are not God's thoughts. Your ways are not God's ways. I'm quoting scripture now when I say that from Isaiah 55. But he held on to them very strongly. Years went by. Forty years went by. I got a telephone call one night. Lady on the other end of the phone said, he's dying and he wants to see you. I got in my car early the next morning. I'm going to tell you, I prayed a good bit that night. And the next morning, I got in my car and drove the 60 or 70 kilometers to the hospital. When I went up to the bed, there were some medical people standing around the bed, a doctor and several nurses. And when I went into the room, his wife said to the medical people, please stand aside. And I walked up to the side of the bed. And I said, I remember 40 years ago the problem you had. You had your own thoughts about yourself. You had your own thoughts about how to get to heaven. And they were wrong. Do you believe now that you're right? No, he said. No, I don't. I went over the scriptures with him. I don't usually do this, but I showed him the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And I said, whose heart is wicked? He said, mine. Oh, that was different. And just before I left, I read him a verse that I don't think I've hardly ever read to another person like this before. The wicked shall be turned into hell. I left that hospital room that night. I drove back home, but I didn't sleep that night. The next day, I went back to the hospital. Mind you, this man's dying, and he has no Christ. I went back to the hospital the next day. I went up to the side of the bed, and I said, did anything stick with you from what we talked about yesterday? Oh, yes, he said. I am going to hell. What an awful reality. And as I was trying to explain to him what salvation is, I thought maybe this is the best illustration I can give to this man. I said to him, when someone steps on one of your elevators, do they put one foot on the elevator and keep the other on the floor? Oh, no. 
I said, they put their whole weight on the elevator? He said, yes. I said, you have to trust Christ wholly and Christ only and put your whole weight on him and he'll take you to heaven. I left. I came back the next day and I discovered the doctors had only given him a few minutes to live. He signaled that he wanted me to come to the side of the bed again. And I stood beside the bed. This is what he did. He wasn't strong enough to even hardly make a sentence. But he put his finger up like that. And he said, the elevator, the elevator. And he died. Friend, are you trusting the elevator? Are you trusting the Savior who went to Calvary? This Calvary explains the way of salvation. You can be saved because Christ has suffered. You can be saved because of Calvary. You can be the one who escapes judgment because the judgment fell on the Savior. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, how we would love tonight if some dear soul, some precious soul in this meeting were to come to Calvary and trust that Savior as your very own. There is so much to learn from Calvary, and the most wonderful thing of all is to know that God's judgment fell on the Savior, and that by trusting Him and His work on the cross, we can go free. But each of us must trust Him personally. Have you looked to Calvary, to the cross of Calvary for your salvation? If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Christians who are meeting in various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday night, as well as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and a very warm welcome awaits you. And if you've been challenged by today's message, would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, following New Testament principles, please feel free to check out our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information, as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gospel hall nearest you. Also, feel free to take a look at other literature and audio offers at anchorpointradio.com, where you can also subscribe to our Anchor Point podcast. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that in times like these, you need a Savior, and in times like these, you need an anchor.